Hello, and you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is the 6th of July, 2023, and we are joined this week by a very special guest. Keeping an eye on his wife, Mr. Keith Redmond, also known as Mr. Sarah Ryan, is with us. We'll talk to both those wonderful people in a moment, but what we'll be talking about is this is the week when the hate speech bill was put on ice. It is the week when uh, the Minister for Justice decided to put our civil liberties on ice. It is the week when RTE's board and executive uh, directors and all the people there look like they might be going on ice. And it is the week when the Irish economy and public spending um, was revealed to have heated up to unbelievable degrees. Sarah, how are you? Keith, how are you? Sarah, first. Did you plan that intro? That was very good. All that. No, I, I didn't. It came to me. That was really inspired. Uh, um, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm very happy about the hate speech bill. It feels like a win. It feels like a win. Um, I would expect this possibility we'll never hear about it again. Well, Keith, I, uh, I, I wrote a piece last week. I'm not taking credit for this now, but I quoted a senior government TD as saying that delay was becoming a more attractive option. And he said, if it gets delayed, it might never come back. Now, I think he's over-optimistic. I think um, there's a lot of people very determined to get something like this passed and it might come back. But a good week nonetheless. Sorry, Keith, you're not your regular guest. When I raise my voice at that at the end of a sentence, it's your cue to talk. I'm a really bad communicator, but anyway. We'll try it again. <laughs> yeah, no, week, I'm, I'm, not as, I'm, I'm not as professional as you two at this, you know, so you're just going to have to give me a few more cues. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled, actually, that the hate speech bill has been, has been knocked back until September. I don't share Sarah's optimism. I'm a little bit more pessimistic. I think it will come back. Now, the question is, in what form will it come back? Because... I think they will have to do something. They will have to tweak it in some way. And what I'm really hopeful of is that it comes back in a kind of a Dermot Ahern blasphemy bill 2010 kind of way, which is where something is put on the statute book, but it's relatively unenforceable or it's certainly weakened to the point where it allows some degree of defence, which obviously the previous um, bill didn't. So I'm hopeful that we will get some kind of long-term win out of this short-term win but it, it is undoubtedly a short-term win i mean the government have taken a beating over the last month and uh, minister McEntee in particular has taken a beating and not only from the usual suspects as they call them the the, the keyboard warriors but also senators both with uh, outside her party but also inside the government we had um we had uh, senator leah leah um oh um Lisa chambers Lisa Chambers, and also um, the Finnegal senator out here in Fingal. Uh, she wasn't me. What's her name? The minister was the minister of social Re- protection. Regina Doherty of the Regina Doherty. Yeah, my my brain has gone blank. So both of those, obviously within the government, were highly critical of the bill. And so when you see that kind of thing happening, you kind of know there's something you know stirring in the undergrowth, and uh, and that's that's what it turned out to be. So I think it's a win. I think McDowell was fantastic. I think Ronan Mullen was fantastic. Uh, Gerald Crockwell, Sharon Keoghan, I mean, they all just kept the pressure on. Um, and I, I think we, we, we get very few wins these days. So we'll, we'll, we should take this one gratefully. Yeah, and the hate speech bill has done something unbelievably, uh, it, almost I would have thought impossible. It's made Ronan Mullen into a TikTok star. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. Ronan Mullen, TikTok star. We'll have to get him on the show, actually, to have a chat about he, that. He, yeah, genuinely, about he, that. He, genuinely gave, he genuinely gave one of, I think, one of the best speeches in the Shannon in decades, in the in the early part of this few weeks ago, it was absolutely amazing. If you, if nobody, if people haven't heard it, they should look it up. It was incredible. And more importantly, or equally as important, are the amount of people who suddenly changed their mind on the abolition of the Shannon. 
because of this. That the, if the Shana didn't exist, this this would be gone. It'd be done. Yeah, yeah. And so, including me, like including you. I mean, I voted. I voted to retain the Shannad, but I regretted that vote ever since. And fair is fair. Like McDool and Ronan Mullen um, and Sharon Keoghan, like they, 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 they earned their crust big time. Mm. I always think it's telling, though, with the Shannad that the, the, the most important voices in it are the independents. And I would like to see, I mean, I know they promised reform. It's mm. never going to happen. But I really <laughs> would like to see a Shannad with more independence in it and more, uh, more people elected from not necessarily from universities, that might be a bit snobby, but like different sectors of society with the proviso that you have to be an independent and can't hold a party affiliation. Um, I think well, that would now, be... John, there's going to be a huge... We're going to see a huge reform in RTE, so maybe the channel will be able to learn from that. Ha, ha, ha. We'll come to RTE in a second, but 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 just on the... Uh, on the on the hate speech bill before we finish off you were talking about helen mcintyre getting criticism i obviously in the job that i do for grip to talk to uh, various politicians on a not for attribution off the record basis and i can tell you there's grave discontent with her um ben ben actually reported on grip during the week a conversation with a senior finnegale td in which, which which that was picked up but i've heard it from people at all levels of the sort of eroctus there's a real sense that that She's annoying her own colleagues with a lot of this stuff, um, and the hate speech bill in particular. I mean, they'll support her in public, but there's a black mark on her copybook. Um, and I don't think um, she's, I think she's doing her leadership ambitions tremendous damage at the moment. Which I think she's, I mean, she's, she's basically proving herself to be, since she returned from maternity leave, she's proving herself to be, I think, the most authoritarian minister for justice, probably since the De Valera and McQuaid era. Like, you're, you know, we're talking about somebody who not only is trying to push through the abolition of free speech, she's also pushing through, as you probably know, the abolition of the freedom of assembly and the freedom of public protest um, with regard to her, um, uh, her, her proposed bill to prevent people from even standing outside a hospital that performs an abortion, holding a candle, doing anything at all. I mean, we're not talking about a mob shouting at the hospital. We're talking about the smallest of protests. Even an assembly where people are praying outside a hospital will be uh, will be forbidden. She's doing that. And then also, which I believe we're going to speak about, she's also gone into the courts this week to uh, negate our constitutional right to privacy with regard to allowing um, or forcing, rather, telephone companies to maintain records of every call and text and location that you, you, uh, your phone picks up from you for a year. So she is undoubtedly, you know, unquestionably the most authoritarian minister for justice we've had in living memory. In respect to some stuff. I mean, uh, Sarah and I were talking about this last week. I mean, we, we had a Ukrainian man slashed in Dublin and we had bikes stolen in broad daylight. We have drug taking. There was a, there was a video uh, on one of the Twitter channels this week of, of people basically fornicating in broad daylight in the middle of Dublin city during the week. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I'm using, I'm, I'm leaning into my brand, Sarah. <laughs> riding, riding. Yeah, that's and it. Keith, and Keith is leaning into his. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, she's not authoritarian about any of that stuff. She's authoritarian yeah. about, about the right of sort of ordinary people to voice their opinions or protest or, or, yeah. or indeed text their wives, lovers, girlfriends or friends. Uh, in 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 privacy, but she's not authoritarian about the stuff that people actually care about, which is having a capital city or indeed any town in the country that's crime free. Doesn't doesn't seem to give a shit about that. 
Can be uh, authoritarian when it comes to civil civil liberties. I mean, you know, that's 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 without a doubt. Um, she's going to be, you know, she's soft on crime because it's it's not all that fashionable with the NGOs to be to be uh, hard on crime. Yeah, um, Connor Fitzgerald, who writes a very good Substack, has a thing. He says, you know, you have to understand that the basic disposition of the left in Ireland is pro crime. It's very hard to argue with him sometimes. Yeah, but anyway. Is, yeah. Tell us more about this, um, because I, 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 I didn't follow it in any great detail, but tell me exactly what she went into court to do this week. Well, you know, it's so interesting you say that, because no media that I could see, there was one small story in the Irish Times, which was very kind of, oh, by the way, this is being done, and it's being done you know, for your benefit. But the media didn't pick up on this in any way whatsoever, didn't see it on RTE, didn't hear about it on News Talk. It was, it was extraordinary, really, but... Uh, effectively, what she did was she went into court and she said, uh, what I'd like to do, folks, is um, I want the mobile phone companies to maintain a record of every person in the state's um, activity on their phone. So activity on your phone, it can be phone calls, it can be text messages, it can be your WhatsApp messages, it can be data, it can be your location, it can be your Google searches, it can be absolutely anything and everything, anything you do on your phone. And that can be retained that must be retained, rather, by the mobile phone companies for the benefit of the state for one year. And the reason she gave was national security reasons. Now, she didn't elaborate at all because she knows very well that the courts can't inquire when she says national security reasons. And so it was done deliberately. But you have to imagine this has been done as literally some kind of authoritarian um, um, kind of flight of fancy where she feels yes i i want that information because i can have it and she just went in blase went into the court and the court miraculously enough gave it to her uh, despite the constitutional right to privacy um, i think this is a something that's ripe for a, a challenge um but at the same and you'll remember that they lost um a similar um sarah i'll defer to sarah's legal expertise on this but they lost a similar case um against graham o'dwyer um, the notorious murderer, um, and he won that case against the government for retaining his mobile phone records, and he and that was ultimately ultimately vindicated in the EU courts as well. So, I'm a bit perplexed as to how she's gone into the national courts and and done this, but it's just extraordinary that she a wanted to, b did it, and c the courts gave it to her. Yeah, I mean, you, I am a bit of a national security hawk, as you probably know, less of a libertarian than you. And when I heard it, I thought to myself. Well, maybe maybe somebody in the Guardi has gone to her and said, "Look, we think there's a jihadi Islamic State cell operating out of Dublin, planning an attack in the UK or something, and we need to keep an eye on them or evidence or, or gather evidence." I thought maybe that might be the excuse, and then it occurred to me, well, surely they could just go into the court and get warrants for those individuals if they could identify of course. them. The blanket, the blanket thing makes it a bit dodgy. Um, yeah, and and it, it, you're you're entirely right in your diagnosis. I think about her her tr approach to civil liberties, where she's very cavalier to it. I wouldn't like to think, bad as things are, that she's just getting this data because she wants it. But Sarah, what do you think? Oh, I mean, I I think I think you can get data for you know any kind of is this like suspected national security reason so i mean i think you can subvert people's rights pretty easily when there's something like that on the table but i mean yeah you'd like to think that she wouldn't be doing that for a, a, except for something that was really serious but 
be honest, nothing surprises me any anymore, John. Like that after since that hate speech bill was, I, since the night I read that hate speech bill from start to finish, I thought Ireland has changed and the political classes have changed, and there's an arrogance there and an entitlement and a and a devil may care attitude to basic human rights and and things that are, you know, we think are constitutionally a given that was never there before. So who knows? Probably she fancied having that data. <laughs> yeah. My concern here is that the Garda used for fishing expedition. Because in terms of your 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 right to privacy, I mean the Garda have a right to get a warrant to search your house, right? Do they need yeah. a warrant do they need a warrant or probable cause to go looking through your 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 phone data? Um Yeah. I, but they're supposed to. I mean, yeah. Um it's it, it's it's it, it, I I am concerned. I have to say I am concerned because one thing I'm going to say something very unpopular here. I don't think this is just my personal opinion. It is not shared by the courts, and it is certainly not shared by most of the country. I don't think Graham Dwyer's conviction was sound because they used that data. I, mean, I don't care what anyone says now. That data showing where he was on the motorway that he was he was texting this per the the, the, the victim, um, and he was he was in you know, on the M50, the M8, wherever wherever he was. That was vital to securing his conviction. Absolutely vital. And it has been established that the state had no right to get that data. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm in no doubt as to his guilt. I'm not saying Graham Dwyer is innocent in any way, shape, or form. He, I, I believe 100% that he's guilty. But I don't think that was that was good. I, I, I don't think the state should have the right to go poking around in your location data and find out exactly where you were at any at any time. I, I, I agree with Keith. There should be some right to privacy there. Okay, anyway. but that's effectively that's effectively what Helen McEntee has done now. She has decided that um, it was so successful for Graham Dwyer, and I think this is actually where it's come from. This is the impetus. It was so successful for the Graham Dwyer conviction that even though the EU courts say it's it's not right, we're going to make sure we have some fig leaf of cover when we do this again because we really want to do it anyway. And this is what I mean. Her instinct is civil authoritarianism. She genuinely just has this instinct in her. Um, and I think it was probably suggested to her by some manager in the Department of Justice, look, if you want to do this again, you're going to need to get some kind of court approval. And she said, well, just go in on the QT there where, while the RTE is, is basically imploding. Let's go in on the QT and get this done. So I, I think that's, uh, that's effectively what's gone on here. It's a, it's a power grab from a minister who is, by her nature, just a civil authoritarian. Yeah, the RT wouldn't have covered it anyway, even if they weren't imploding. I mean, the, the, you're right in that the media coverage it's gotten has been basically non-existent. And you yeah. would have thought that there would be like some kind of wave of authoritarian media coverage saying this is a really good idea, because that's what normally happens. But it's one of these things that's just whistled under the radar, and we'll we'll find out about it. And obviously the nature of these things as well is that they tend to be, unfortunately, quite popular, because you say Graham DeWire's name, and I think a lot of people in the country would go, yeah, well, sure, if you have nothing to hide, what does it matter? That that action yeah. does tend to be pervasive, but wait until, folks, wait until it's wait until the crimes change. Wait until it, I don't want to sound a general already, but wait until the hate speech bill passes in some form, and they're going through your phone to see if you ever used a bad word of a travelers in a joke to your mates, because yeah. that that data will be retained as well, and they do have the right under the hate speech bill, which has been shelved, not abolished, uh, to access your phones and your data to see if you have anything hateful in your possession, including, I presume, your text messages. Sarah, I can feel your buzzing to talk about RTE. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you own any Haviana flip flops, John? 
I don't, but I worked out that they're 25 quid each, so those must be some pretty good flip-flops. When I was in America, I got a pair with the Republican Party logo on them that say two right feet. They're really naff, but they're the only flip-flops I own. Oh my God, they sound amazing. I want them. <laughs> um, um, no, I think it is a, a huge mess. That's what I think. Um, I think that the carry-on and the spending is shocking. And I didn't even think I could be that shocked, but I am shocked. Um, I think they, like I said last week, and I stand over it even more so, that they treat the public with contempt, um, that this slush fund is treating the public by with contempt. And I think that, you know, we should like the the grip should whenever writing an article about anything should stop saying euros like you know 200 pairs of Haviana flip-flops for 4,700 we should just do we should just use um license fees so you know they spent 462 people's license fees on flip-flops and 322 people's license fees on you know a meeting that got cancelled and 27,000 households license fees on uh the toy story musical that never went anywhere etc etc because the money is like monopoly money it's not real but we need to remind people all the time these are you know piles of 160 euros that people paid or uh, 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 under threat of going to jail for yeah. this nonsense and i mean i'm struck by the the weakness of some of the stuff i mean eamon ryan out today blathering on about how he is absolutely essential and must be saved because they're now worried you can actually sense the shift in government from we're going to get votes from bashing or for their scandals to now oh maybe or are in such trouble that you know, we have to move into a sort of defence mode. So we have two green ministers today, Catherine Martin and Eamon Ryan, so, you know, starting to defend Orhee's important role as a public service broadcaster because they're actually now worried that this stuff has gone so far that the public are just like, shut it down. I don't know if they yeah. are at that point yet, but you can feel you can feel the mood music starting to turn. I mean, when Marty Morrissey turns into a national villain, as he did today when he revealed <clears> that he, uh, you know, confirmed something that we heard during the week, Sarah, actually. I think a lot of people yeah. have heard the rumour that it was Marty Marcy who had borrowed a Renault car for five years. It's a long, it's a long land of a car. Um, that this, there's just something fundamental. There's a culture problem in RTE. I have actually a piece coming out tomorrow uh, saying, you, if you're going to fix it, you're not going to abolish it, everyone needs to be fired. Because it's cultural. I mean, it, these people are promoted from middle ranks up to senior ranks. And this is the way it's been done. This is the way it's always been done. I mean, the the barter accounts, the Holy Trinity, the three in one, um, they were they 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 existed under a series of financial chief financial officers. There was no impetus to shut them down because that's the way it's always been done. The culture in there is 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 completely rotten. And I think if you leave anyone in there running the thing who's been brought up in that culture for the last twenty odd years, the changes they'll want to make are minimal. It's human nature. Mm. You, you need a completely new broom at minimum. But I, I still say, shut it down, sell it off, build apartments in Donnybrook, and move sort of a national news broadcaster to Athlone or somewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, I wonder, you know, if the culture of RT was exemplified by those Haviana flip-flops. You know, as you say, they're 25 quid a pop, right? So let's say you need to buy, what is that? They, they bought 200 pairs of them for this five grand, right? So if you need to buy 200 pairs of flip-flops for some event, something, I don't know, God knows what it is, right? The first instinct of somebody who has to buy, who's being told to buy 200 pairs of flip-flops for some PR event, 
is not to buy Haviana flip-flops. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, Keith, let, sorry to interrupt you, right? But how many weddings have people, have you been to? Well, I'm a, I'm obviously the only woman here. A lot of, 80% of weddings that you go to, you go into the ladies' toilets and the bride has bought a basket of flip-flops so that women yes. can take their shoes off and dance. And I know for a fact that those flip-flops, you can get them on multiple websites or whatever, and they cost about 50 cents each. Yeah, I just had a quick look. I had a quick look on AliExpress there, and you can get a pair of flip flops for one euro ten. So, if you can get a pair of flip flops for one euro ten, and as you say, Sarah, we've seen many times flip flops provided for free for wedding guests and stuff like that. Like that's the instinct that a person who's spending their own money has yeah. when they're when they're buying flip flops. If you are spending other people's money, and it comes down to this famous Milton Friedman, you know, example of when you're spending other people's money, you're just not you're not half as careful as when you're spending your own, obviously. And RTE are the living exemplification of that. Because everything has to be the best of the best, even if it's for a one night only ridiculousness, like whatever PR event they were doing with flip flops. But when you get to the 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 but as you say, it's an embedded culture, John. And when you're saying you need to fire everybody and start again, first of all, the new director general, Kevin Bakehurst, okay, is a former director, deputy director general. So he is embedded in this culture. He knows this culture. So he's the former deputy director general, and he's going to be the new broom that's going to clear the way and for this shiny new RTE. Like, give me a break. Like, you know, they turned down um, that guy, the the CEO of Unpust, um, Redmond, McRedmond, David because, McRedmond. because, quote, he was too entrepreneurial. Now, can you believe that? That was the reason <clears throat> that was given. He was too entrepreneurial in his interviews. So when he was in his interviews, they were shocked by his entrepreneurialism so much that they had to get rid of him. So if anybody was going to be the new broom, it was going to be him. But the former deputy director general taking over now is not in any way a change of culture. Let's be brutally honest here, okay? And... The, the, the other thing to, to bear in mind about the, the culture there is that, as you say, the politicians are now beginning to uh, begin to panic a little, that they've overcooked this and the public are turning against them. And so the two Green Ministers were out, but also the Taoiseach and the Taoiseach were out today defending the TV licence and saying you should pay your TV licence because they sense the possibility of a water charges moment where we have a mass non-pay of TV licences. And if there was a mass non-pay of TV licenses in the same way as there was for the water charges, the TV license could very well be doomed here. You know, the amount of money that's been squandered by RTE, and as Sarah said, the amount of people's TV license fees that have been squandered could easily, could easily be packaged into a popular movement and result in mass non-payment. And I think the politicians are beginning to panic a wee bit about that. Uh, and right you not, so. But are also, like, let's call a spade a spade. Like, are you not... To play devil's advocate here, are you not a gobshite to pay it from now on? Until you, unless you see a massive, massive overhaul of the whole thing, are you not a gobshite if you pay that that fee at this point? Like they're coming out today because they're starting to realise that you know, oh, the the shock and awe as you say in the beginning, oh, everyone clutched their pearls or whatever, and it was like this is terrible. But now they're realising that the public are outraged and they're starting to like I saw. And two of them said, oh, it's important for the, us to have balanced media. You must be joking. Does anybody actually, like, do they think that the public really believe for one second that RTE provides balanced news? Are they out of their minds? 
Was Orti balanced during COVID? Uh, Catherine Martin <laughs> cited COVID today. I don't know if you saw this there. Catherine Martin, yes. when, ben, when Ben asked her about like the, why, she said something like, oh, yeah. it's very important we need public service broadcasting. And Ben just said, why? Why do we need it? And she was like, well, we saw why during COVID when RTE provided fair, independent, factual, and balanced news. And I mean, like, I didn't fall off my chair laughing. I, I just kind of, you know. Because no, I, I they're backing, I think they're backing what, what, what was was what, okay, fine, but COVID was already balanced during the referendum no. on the on the eighth. Like you must be out of your mind if you think that Orti isn't the. I think Orti is more biased than the others. Like they have their own agenda, they have their opinions on things, and their entire news and their entire editor editorial line is driven by that agenda on everything. Well, we they ask us to pay to be told what to think. Like they are so biased, it's pathetic. And the that that two government ministers would have summon up all of the audacity in their bodies to say that they that we need balanced media you must be joking like you they just are. must be joking i think i think rte are basically the left-wing version of fox news they are yeah. they are so egregiously biased it's it's hilarious that anybody including government minister or anybody else would stand up and say is there anything like fair and balanced in covid they effectively parroted the government line and questioned nothing questioned nothing not the 90 minute um staying in a pub not eating a meal you know because covid only gets you if you're hungry like they questioned nothing they parroted the government line and claire uh, scareburn as she was called claire burn basically wanted more restrictions heavier restrictions i mean you know the 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 that RTE were anything other than a cheerleader for more and more restrictions during covid is undoubted and seeing uh, Catherine Martin coming out today saying that that was the example of why we need public service broadcasting made me realize that was the reason we don't need RTE. Well, there's another factor here as well. And uh, sorry not to be echoing and pile on, but I'm going to pile on. Because the other issue is that the Green Party have a particular vested interest. Because RTE is the only broadcaster in the state that is signed up to an international organization called Covering Climate Now, which basically mandates... Um, what you might call the alarmist position on climate change to be the only position that the broadcaster takes. You are completely banned from appearing on RTE program to take any position on climate change other than if we don't radically change the world, the world is going to burn. That is RTE policy. You can't go on. In addition, the broadcaster has been given by Catherine Martin's own department, I think in the region of 4 million euro over the last two years to make broadcasting, to make programs promoting the Green Party's view of the climate. The Green Party in particular use RTE as a messaging vehicle for them politically. And they have yeah, and as a result, as a result, as a result of signing up to that um that that agreement, they um they will proudly say that they do not offer what they call both sideism when it comes to climate change. So they will not allow an alternative view to even be expressed on the airwaves. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it, it's a bold admission by an agency that pretends to stand up for the pillars of journalism to say that we are basically taking one line, it's the line, it's the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and we're accepting nothing else. So you're right. I mean, they, you know, they scratched the Green Party's back and the Green Party are now scratching theirs. And unfortunately, the Green Party are in charge of the ministry 
um, that is most engaged with this, obviously communications. So like I, I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that this is going to be a, that classic Irish scandal that Jason O'Mahony writes about, which is where everybody gets up in arms, we have a hearing, it all goes into the long woods, and then we just forget about it. And that's basically what's going to happen here. Although, wouldn't it be wonderful if we saw old Leo Varadkar? Do you remember old Leo Varadkar used to come out, shoot from the hip, and come out with some kind of bold thing that I no know. one else would say? I remember and, that guy. And, he was just, great. I liked can, him. He was can great. I, can I just interject here? Because I, I wrote in a piece about a week or so ago that I, I knew him a little bit when 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 I was younger. I think you did you know him as well, Keith, back in the day before he Oh yeah. Goes to the, like we can we just put on the record here that the, the right wing Leo Bradger thing wasn't a myth. I mean he made you and me look like kind of like wusses. Leo Bradger Leo Bradger, if people forget, was not only pro life, staunchly pro life, he was against gay marriage. And he was against gay adoption. And he was against um, gay men giving blood at the, in the, uh, the National Transfusion Service. Like, this is a guy who made me raise my eyebrows. Like, this is a guy who was super right wing. And now he's basically Justin Trudeau with fancier socks. Like, he's, he's become so center-left, social liberal. It's, it's stunning. He used to actually slag off, I don't know if you remember this, he used to slag off Gareth Fitzgerald's tenure as Taoiseach and stood up in the doll and pointed at Brian Cowan when Brian Cowan was at his lowest ebb and shouted at him and said, like, you'll end up like Gareth Fitzgerald writing articles in the Irish Times no one reads and just people thinking back on your tenure as someone who ruined the country economically and was only concerned about social issues. Blah, blah. Mate, what are you talking about? He may as well have been shouting in the mirror. I mean, yeah. he's tr he's turned into Gareth Fitzgerald's, you know, stepson. I mean, it, it's it's extraordinary the transformation in this guy. But imagine he was to get up in the morning and decide, you know, what I'm going to do do here. I'm going to I'm going to do something that I think will be extremely popular, but at the same time, won't matter a shite when it comes to the finances. And that is, if he said, I'm going to abolish the TV license, right? The people would be thrilled, all right. Mm -hmm. And, and you would say, oh, my God, that sounds like a reckless move. A TV license brings in 160 million euro a year. OK, and let me tell you, for the guys who are currently in government, I know we're moving on to this. The guys who are currently in government, 160 million euro is a sniff. It's nothing. We're spending three and a half billion on housing Ukrainians and people fleeing persecution, etc. Three billion a year is being spent on that alone. So. I'm sure they could scrounge up 160 million to cover that. And all they would have to do, and, and they would basically, we're abolishing the TV license as a result of this scandal, blah, blah, blah. Leo would get huge kudos for that. And old Leo would have done that. He would have. He would have done it long before this <laughs> scandal. Um, Imagine if that happened next week. It'd be like the hate crime bill kicked to touch this week. Next week, the abol abolition of the TV license. What next? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They might, they oh. might actually cut taxes. Imagine that. Uh, no, it would be the most exciting three weeks of our lives that the government finally listened to the public. It'd be, it's like, it'd be like some kind of the well, lizard being, people are really dragged, kicking and screaming into all these positions. Remember, it's not as if it's not as if Leo has suddenly rediscovered his roots. I mean, uh, Ben Scallon asked him a question today about the Tusa scandal, <laughs> uh, which uh, we won't talk about in any great depth. But like, basically, there's a report out there saying that there are girls in the care of Tusla being trafficked for sex. <sighs> and uh, Leo just maybe frowned and stomped off in a, how dare you ask me about that? Yes, it's being investigated, but I won't give you any more details kind of way. 
Um, it, the government have been dragged kicking and screaming into all of these positions with with really bad grace. Um, and I mean, wouldn't it be so refreshing if if he like, they're slumped in the polls at nineteen percent because you know no one cares about anything he says. Say some interesting things, Leo. Stand up and say, you know what. RTE had been a disgrace for a long time and it's time for serious reform or abolishing the TV licence, as Keith said. Um, Tusla have been a disgrace. We are reforming that because the allegations that are being made are deeply concerning. We've heard what you said about the hate speech bill, so we're going to reconsider it and discuss it again in a few months' time, but it's not going to happen in its current iteration, etc., etc. I reckon that Fine Gael would literally go up about 10 points if they did all this stuff. Yeah. I think if they did that, they would actually be touching base with who they're supposed to be representing. Yeah. yeah. Finnegal have lost um, poll numbers because they've lost their way. They don't realize who they're supposed to be for anymore. They're basically the sock Dems, you know, with a couple of farmers. I mean, that's basically what they are now. I'm going to so, remind, remind listeners who don't know that Keith served with great honor and distinction and to the, to the annoyance of many uh, people of the left in Bengal as a councillor for Finnegal. So he's not just a crank. You're not just you're, you're somebody who who was uh, who was actually representative of that party, so you know of what you speak. I'm not, I'm not just a crank, but I am a crank. But, <laughs> but it's uh, no, it's true. I mean, when I joined Finnegale, it was uh, after the crash, and the thinking was these guys were going to be the new fiscal, the, you know, kind of the new broom, and fiscally they were going to take care of things where these these cowboys in Fianna Fáil had collapsed the country, blah de blah, and then Finnegale were going to and <laughs> meanwhile. N- narrator says, meanwhile, 10 years later, you know, and we'll talk about it now soon, they've completely lost their minds. They are like drunken sailors spending money at the moment now. They put Fianna Fáil in 2007 to shame. Here's what uh, Fine Gael said in the 2011 election manifesto. It's worth reading this, actually. Quote, this is directly from Fine Gael, uh, 2011 election manifesto. Behind the wreckage of our banking system, health service, public finances and the jobs market lies a cosy culture of cronyism and low standards that has infiltrated the top of our political and public service systems under recent governments. It is a culture that abandoned the principles underlining the republic founded by Fine Gael, blah, 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 that uh, allowed the state to be run for the benefit of the few, not the many. It allowed special interests to crowd out the public interest and it pushed the interests of citizens behind those of powerful elites. 12 years they've been in office. 12 long fecking, and I don't mean fecking, I mean the other word, 12 years they've been in office after they said that. And I mean, you know, the animals look from pig to man and back to pig again and they could not tell the difference. That's where we're at. I mean, uh, anyway, on that, let's talk a little bit about the public finances. Um, Keith, take it away because you probably do this better than me. (laughs) Yeah, you're the one who's the most furious well, I, I put a tweet out there uh, the other day about this, and it, 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 it's something that when the numbers were sent to me, they were actually sent to me by um, by a former TD, and he said to me, he said, I'm not going to put this up, he said, but you're, you're mad enough to do it, so put this up for me, and I said, fine. So, in 2019, the state's budget was 77 billion euro, right? That was in 2019. Now, I want you to bear in mind, eight five years previous, it was about forty billion, right? So it had been a serious jump in five or six years to seventy-seven billion euro, right? And it's very hard sometimes to get your head around numbers like billions, you know. 
But 77,000 million. Okay, so imagine winning a million quid in the lotto. Now imagine winning it 77,000 times, right? That's, that was the budget in 2019. And now we're four years, sorry, it'll be five years, five years later again, right? So the proposed budget for next year, for 2024, has just been announced. And it's 107 billion euro. So 30 billion euro more than it was five years ago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, you know, 30... It's not not far off a 50% increase. No, exactly. As I was going to say, it's just shy, I think it's just shy of 40%, right? But I mean, it doesn't really matter that you and I can't work it out because no one else seems to be able to work the damn thing out either, right? So you're talking about 107 billion, billion, not million, billion euro, okay, being spent by a country the size of Ireland. It's absolutely fascinating. Five million people in the country. So those kind of jumps in public spending, people will say, well, sure, isn't it marvelous that we've got all this money to spend now on improving the country, right? Now, meanwhile, last year, okay, it was um, it was 97 billion, right? So we've gone from 77 to 97, 20 billion in those years. Now, can anybody honestly tell me that they have noticed a significant change for that 20 billion euro per, per year, by the way, not in total, per year? And I'm not talking about COVID. COVID was ex- exceptional times, Bloody, bloody, blah. We're not talking about COVID. We're now after COVID. 2023, the year we're living in now is after COVID. And we're spending 20 billion more. We're going to spend another, you know, 10 billion next year. So this is not, nothing to do with COVID. Okay. Um, where did that money go? Do we have a do we have a health service that's 40% better? Do we have an education system that's 40% better? Do we have a transport system that's 40% better? No, we don't. So how, Why, how dare you, Keith? We have we have about five hundred percent more of those annoying bollards on the road, carving up all the streets, and we have about five hundred percent more random signage all over the city centre. You have to walk yeah. through a, a wave of piss to see the sign, but we definitely have more signs. So how dare you? There's I definitely been a billion euro. I, 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 a billion just, euro at least has been spent on road signage and nonsense bollards. So just so just Dublin, it in. So, just on that so note, Dublin sorry, 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 Keith. Just on that note that Sarah mentions, just as a complete aside. But years ago, a Fianna Fáil politician said to me, and I'd kind of forgotten it until just now. He said, "If you want to find where there's some kind of dodgy dealing going on in the country, my hint is look at who's getting all the contracts for the signage." Now I have no idea whether that's true or whether it's not true, but we seem to spend an awful lot of money on signage. An immense amount of money on signage compared to I was it was in other country I was in two other <laughs> European countries this last month and they don't have half as many signs. We have signs everywhere for everything, and they're ugly as hell. But anyway, Good point. I, I, I don't know where. Go into your local from. signage company, and if everybody is wearing Havianas, <laughs> you know that it's time to sniff around more. It'll be like that scene in Father's Head, you know, where he goes into the pub and the lads are wearing the furs and uh, and the crown. <laughs> yeah, that that'll be like if you went to the local <laughs> signage company. Anyway. To any but, I mean, of all signage companies that may but, have been named, I was not referring to you anyway. But getting getting back to the fact that we're going to go to hell in a handbasket, um, there's the, the, all this extra money, these billions and billions of euro, right, are all being effectively funded by a boom in corporation tax. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have just, you know, as a result of global economic reasons, we're obviously the center for pharma and tech uh, companies, and we're getting a boom from that. Fantastic, and we're getting this corporate these corporation tax receipts. They are very reminiscent of the stamp duty and capital capital taxes that we were getting during the property boom. Mm-hmm. Very reminiscent of it. A windfall tax 
that could be can blow with the wind, blow in and blow out. And that, that's exactly what this is again. We've literally learned nothing from the last crash. We've learned nothing. And we are, I mark these words, we are destined for a, a crash again because that is the nature of capitalist markets. They go up and they go down. And when this market goes down, when the, the tide goes out, or when the wind changes, we are going to have to have a massive program of austerity again. And potentially our old friends, uh, uh, Mr. Joshi from the IMF, could very well be in telling us that we're bold boys and girls and we have to do things differently again because we simply are incapable of learning. Well, that's what I was going to say. Um, you know, the, 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 there's a reason lessons have be, lessons will be learned is a cliche in this country, right? And it's only a cliche because lessons are never bloody well learned. Never. Like, this is all lessons have been learned. I mean, I think back to that time in the crash there. Do you remember when, you know, in the aftermath, remember Enda Kenny and Pat Rabbit promising sober government and never again, and, you know, we will run the country prudently and live within our means. And then we had the fiscal treaty in 2011, which is a complete failure in Ireland's case because it's actually very well designed in one respect in that it means that you can only increase your spending so long as it doesn't go above a certain percentage of your national debt or the deficit has to be a certain percentage of GDP. But mm. when you have this tax boom, the fiscal treaty isn't operable. There's no, no, it, no regulation saying, in Charlie McCreevy's words, you can't spend what you have. And because we have all this money now, we're just splurging it everywhere. I mean, I did a piece this week about how the HSE is ordering a new 20-bed um, segment in University Hospital Limerick for 50 million over five years, right? So these beds are costing about 1,400 quid a bed, which is about 800 quid a bed more than what um, Simon Harris and the Minister of Health said they should cost. And at the end of five years, they won't belong to the HSE. We're basically funding out of public money the construction of a new private semi-hospital in Limerick, uh, which can then go and take its services elsewhere. It, the, the spending of public money and the way it's being spent is just absolutely extraordinary. Um, and and uh, no but, one cares. But it's, but it's cup. But well, it's also coupled with its with seemingly an absolute allergy to giving any of the public the money back yes. in the form of tax cuts. Like there was an idea floated a few weeks ago you know, about the potential for some tax cuts and they all ran away from it within days. But like, so is, is, do you know what it is? I think it's like that there's a, there's a, there's still a disconnect and it's probably, you know, in large part, certainly from political side, sides done on purpose. There's a disconnect in the language between like government spending and your money. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that, that people don't think as much about government spending as uh, as the money that they're paying in tax and therefore it's 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 it becomes easier and easier not to propose tax cuts like we're talking about massive surpluses we're talking about money flooding into a supposed rainy day fund but on the other hand we're talking about a lot of people especially this winter like we're obviously into the summer now but who really struggled with bills and who are struggling Mm -hmm. And, you know, who will struggle even more if Keith is right, if there's, you know, like a recession, austerity, whatever. And they never, ever, ever talk. There is no party in government, in, in Leinster House that talks about tax cuts, that talks about, the you know, the, 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 uh, that makes proposals for tax cuts, that makes proposals for uh, giving people more of their money back. Nobody. It's just spent, spent, spent. Like we, we talk about the analogy all the time. 
that the structure of this government is like your divorced parents and daddy wants you to like him more so he promises to bring you to Disney World and mommy wants you to like her more so she promises to buy you a moped but both of them like but you end up spoiled and whatever but you you also don't get any love you don't get what you need and really why don't they just like if we have this much money tax cuts tax cuts tax cuts nobody talks about it uh, I mean, the other thing that strikes me here, I mean, and I endorse everything you said, Sarah, is the degree to which this, like, politicians don't even seem to me to have a sense of what they're doing. I mean, I, I mentioned these figures. <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm deadly serious. I mentioned the figures that Keith mentions, the massive increases of spending to a, to a, a government TD. I won't say any more than that because I'd identify him if I could say a, a single word more than that, but a government TD. And he said, I got a text back. The text had one word, Jesus. I mean, he didn't know what his own government was spending or the scale of the increase. I mean, what are these? I mean, I'm sorry if you're listening. I mean, I know you're a well-intentioned public service servant, but like, what you didn't know? You didn't know what your own government was spending. I, I, I really uh, have a sense sometimes that the country is not being. I mean, we talked about this here that the country isn't being run by by any one leader at all and that a lot of our elected politicians like the, the mor- something we don't talk about is the morale on the government benches is in the toilet it is in the mm. toilet I mean, these the people like they don't like their own government uh, particularly in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, they don't they don't like it they're not enthused by it they're getting the ears worn off them at every clinic over everything from crime to killing cows to the turf ban in rural areas to um this RTE stuff they don't like it. It's not a pleasant experience, and lots of them are retiring at the next election. The morale mm. is in the toilet, um, and a lot of them don't even know what's happening. And I, I wonder whether that doesn't extend to some of the cabinet as well. Uh, I, I, wonder, but, but I, I John, wonder. I wonder if you polled every cabinet minister and asked them how much has spending increased in the last four years. I, I, I wonder how. I genuinely, hand on heart, wonder how many of them would know. But I would have had like not to you know not to go back to the hate speech bill, but just on the on the subject. Like I would have had more sympathy for that, but it was really obvious to me. That when like the, the TDs in government voted for that bill, they voted for it. And then when they started to feel the heat and they f- started to feel the pressure and the senators started to speak up about it, then some of them started coming out. And I had, yeah, no one really, I've never, I haven't really seen many people address this, but why are you coming out now and saying, oh, in hindsight, this isn't a good bill? Did you read it? I was struck like, this uh, struck this week by Jim O'Callaghan. Now, I, 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 I know you, uh, by the way, I have time for Jim O'Callaghan. Well, he coordinating, so he's coordinating the opposition within Fianna Fáil to the hate speech bill. That was reported in one of the Sunday newspapers. I can't remember which one. Jim O'Callaghan coordinating the opposition. He voted for it. He voted for it a couple of weeks ago. Now he's coordinating the opposition. I mean, come on, Jim. I, like, yeah. like, do they really think that they're fooling anybody with that? Like, it, it's, it, it, it makes you wonder, do they, do they really think so little of the general public that they think that they're such idiots that they'll swallow that? I mean, every single Fianna Fáil TD voted for the hate speech bill. Every single Fine Gael TD voted for the hate speech bill. So, you know, there's no point in coming out now and saying that, oh, Jesus, we're on reflection and we're setting up a gang and we're all going to, like, it's a posse and we're going out. You know, nobody believes you. Uh, if you're listening to me now, like, and you're kind of thinking, ah, oh, your man doesn't understand. Nobody believes you. So just literally don't say anything because, you know, every word you say just makes you look like a bigger idiot. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you can be as disillusioned as you like. And you're right, John, that like back to the point, like morale is low and all of that. But you know what? Like read the stuff, read the bill, listen to the public. Like you're like use the hate bill. The hate speech bill should be a wake up call for anybody who's in Leinster House, who's a TD right now, who's maybe a bit disillusioned, that you're totally out of touch with what the public are thinking and saying and feeling. And you need to get back out and get immerse yourself in the public a bit more. You've gotten lost in the bubble of Leinster House, because if you voted for that, and thought, yeah, that's grand, voted it right through. And now you're all up in arms about it because you've gotten 5,000 emails from an irate public about it. Well, you need to have a, like, you need to have a word with yourself yeah. and what you're doing. Well, between that and RTE and everything else we discussed this week, uh, it's not been a banner week for the people running the country, but that really is. When's the last time they had a good week? I can't remember the last time the people running the country had a good week where you kind of felt the country had taken a step in the right direction. It feels But it was like a good week. It was a good week for people power, John. It was a good week for the public. Yeah. Because the hate speech bill, like the public rose up against that. And okay, we'll see what happens in a couple of months. But for now, it's kicked to touch. And Helen McAtee is going to do her best to not be humiliated there. And they're going to try and do something. But ultimately, it's a loss for them. The RTE thing is a loss for the government. They're now having to sort of like, you know, oh, it's important for democracy. Yeah, sure. But like they're on the back foot. So I think it's a good week for the public. It's a good week. It's sh like it, it, the, the public are starting. I've said there's been a sea change for a while. Public are starting to not care about being called transphobe. They're asking questions about that issue. They're asking more questions about immigration. They're asking questions about loads of things. And there, there's a sea change happening. And I think it's good. The government haven't had a good week in a while, but they don't deserve a good week. And they haven't deserved a good week in a long, long time. And like if you were in any way of an intuitive politician, as as we thought Leo was, you would think he would sit there tonight and go, right, the public want X, Y and Z from these issues. I'm going to throw them a bit of meat here. And, you know, that's the moment where you step outside the political fray and you actually offer the public a kind of a glimpse of, an alternative way of looking at things. Because at the moment, it's so homogenous, both government and opposition on all of these issues, that as Sarah said, the public have literally wrote, rose up against not just the government, the entire political class. Mm -hmm. The entire political class. And they have said, no, we're not having this. No, we're not happy with that. No, 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 right? And we're irate about the RTE. Like, if you were Leo sitting there, there's so many easy wins here to pick off the tree. You know, and I know he's an avid listener to this podcast. And so I would suggest to you, Leo, as you sit there now, swirling your cranberry juice in your in your in your glass in your evening meal, and you you just think to yourself now, what would old Leo do? You'd write a very mean letter to the Irish Times. That's what he'd do. He used to be an avid letter writer to the Irish Times. I just think I I I look when I see Leo Bradker. Uh, I, I, I resisted making this point on this podcast before, but I, I think it's important enough to make. I think his he is more loyal or more concerned about what his circle of friends think than he is about what the opinion polls say. That's my impression of him. I think that Leo Varadkar is more concerned about the disapproval of his personal social circle, which is very liberal and very progressive and all the rest of it, than he is about what the polls say. And I think he's deeply embarrassed about his right-wing past. Deeply embarrassed. Ashamed. Mm. That he was. Well, I mean, governments governments in general, if they're there too long, they end up in bubbles and they don't yeah. really, they, they lose touch with the public. 
And there's no greater bubble than, than this one. I mean, we, we have a Leinster house has departed. I mean, it's not a bubble, it's a UFO, and it's just departed and left the rest of us here. I mean, it's running its own show in, in inside in there. I mean, nobody knows what the hell's going on. Outside, we don't know what the hell's going on in there. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to anybody. Um, somebody, so, during, somebody made that exact point to me during the week in, 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 using a memorable phrase. Um, when I, you know, somebody was saying that Leinster House is sort of a bubble and they're all in there, and they said, you know, you know that because it's the only place in Ireland where Ivana Batchik is taken seriously. Which <laughs> <laughs> is true. Yeah. It's the, true. Yeah, the bat, the Batchik, the Batchik bomb hasn't really, uh, hasn't really been no. a stellar moment for for, for Labour, has it? Like no. The Batchik bomb is just absolutely. I mean, it's incredible. You, you you would have thought that Labour could go no lower, but but no, it turns out you can. I will find it. it. I will find it very funny. I was looking the other day. I mean, Brendan Howland uh, might might retire. There's no certainty on that. And if he does, then it is eminently possible uh, on the figures from last weekend, where Labour were on two percent, that the only Labour TD to be re-elected at the next election might be Alan Kelly. <laughs> he got a personal vote in Tipperary. I, I'm actually I actually live in Alan Kelly's backyard in his bailiwick, and he gets a vote here that is not a Labour Party vote. He gets and Alan Kelly is a sound lad who sorts out the local issues and is a really good local TD. That's the vote he gets, and I think he'll keep a lot of it. And I, but I the thing what... is, can I just say though, like all jokes aside, and I'm, you know, think I've mentioned before, like not a not a Labour voter, but I think that's really bad. Like I think that it, you know there is some there is some smart people in labor i think they're wrong on absolutely everything they think and say but like you know duncan smith is a good he's a good td like he's a local td for us here you know he's he he's a good td he's a smart guy again i think he's wrong i think he's wrong and a very nice person i think he's wrong in every single thing he says or thinks but he still brings something to the table and he has an ideology and he's smart and like if Labour TD, sitting TDs right now have any sense at all, like stop sitting there waiting for the, you know, thing to fall on your head and do something. It hasn't it's, worked out. It was a huge mistake to get rid of Alan, Alan Kelly. A huge, massive. huge mistake. Massive, massive. And, 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 and Ivana Bacic has not landed with the public. They, I said it a few weeks ago on the podcast. They've done everything. They've tried everything. It's, it's, embarrassing at this point it's like you know kind of throwing out anything we'll build a million homes what two million? oh well, well this one no one cares labor need some a couple of big ideas and a, a better leader i'm sorry it just hasn't worked out and if they want to save their seats like i don't think it's good for politics necessarily for any party to be wiped out completely um and i think they should face the fact that they made a huge mistake and do something about it or they're going to be gone. Yeah, like, but I think that I think Alan, I think Alan Kelly could very well be the only um sitting or sitting Labour TD that's that's elected at the next election. Um but I wonder if he'll be running for for Labour because yeah. you know I I, I, I heard that you too. know like Michael O'Leary not Ryanair Michael O'Leary but Michael O'Leary used to be Labour leader in the 80s. He eventually ended up as a Finnegal TD and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the unloved um, uh, Alan Kelly eventually just decided, well, if you don't want me and you're a sinking ship anyway, I'll hop off somewhere else. It could easily end up running for one of the two the two big parties. B- yeah, big and parties. also they'd be, they'd be, sorry, uh, they'd be 
They'd be, you need the they'd be you, lucky you, to have lucky to have him because he's actually a really good TD. He does his upper wally on things. He when he gets into yeah. an issue, he gets his teeth into it. He's a really good researcher. He's a good parliamentarian. They'd be lucky to have him. That's why it was a huge, huge mistake to get rid of him because he has broad appeal. He's he's rural and city. Like he's not, you know what I mean. He appeals to all different kinds of people. Again, wrong and everything, but still a good politician. It was a massive mistake. Labour got like mad horny with the taste of winning at that by-election <laughs> and decided they, they remembered what it felt like to win. At, so they have a, won a thing since 2011 and they thought, oh, we're, we're another gale. Let's jump on another gale. We've got the wind behind us and we know how the last one worked out. So it was dumb. But like, call it, call it, call it what it is, a mistake and do something about it or I'll, else I'll, you will be annihilated. We're basically out of time, but I, I, I'll sum up what I think the problem is, right? I think the problem, not just for Labour, but for all these parties, is that they just, none of them are making anything happen. They're all sitting there and this strikes me every time I talk to a TD, uh, which I do fairly, not not that often because I think it's important not to talk to them too much because honestly, you get <laughs> You might catch trouble. something. You might catch something. But they, none of them make anything happen. They're sitting there waiting for the political wind to blow and hope that it blows in their direction. And I get this sense with the Labour Party that they believe the public will come to their senses. That, you know, that, 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 that they're sort of, that they will come to their senses and vote for Labour because that's what you do. Because that's, and, and the same with Fine Gael and the same with Fianna Fáil, that all these issues, hate speech, immigration, the chicks with dicks, whatever you want to say, like it's it's all... The, it's all. It's all. It's all. The public will eventually come to their senses. They're just having a little tiff with us. Yeah. But, you know, you, they'll knock are, on the. Do- they'll knock. They'll knock on the door. Of some old lady who can't afford to heat her home, and they'll say, "You seem to be in a spot of bother there. You're freezing." But you know what'll warm you up? We tried to get to kill a mockingbird removed from the school syllabus, and that just must warm your soul, mustn't it? Jesus. Yeah. Crap. I mean, they're, they're completely <laughs> absurd. The joke of a party. They, they, they have an. They have an Irish Times narcissism. That, you know, we're the paper of record. We actually know all of these things. All these silly little other people don't understand. Come to us. We will tell you the truth. We will give you our wisdom. The Fintan O'Toole school of narcissism. <laughs> and, and, and so this is what Labour are. Labour are basically the, the party of the Irish Times. And they're, they're the political wing of the Irish Times. And, <laughs> and we... It's, Sorry, you, I, I, you've managed to talk about Labour without even mentioning your favourite Labour, Labourite, Aon. Oh, don't talk to me about him. Like, <laughs> okay. Like, uh, honestly, Jesus Christ, the most disingenuous politician to have ever darkened the door of the doll. I, I, need a, I, need a whole pol- I need a whole podcast about him. We will do it. Perhaps we'll do a whole podcast about housing in Clontarf. That will be an interesting discussion. But for now, I'm afraid, folks, what fun <laughs> as this has been. Uh, we are, I think we've gone over an hour or so, people. If you're still listening, thanks for sticking with us. And if you're still listening to that show, you're kind of feeling the way we're feeling. Uh, and I think a lot of people are. I always say to people when I'm talking to them, the biggest the biggest thing that happens in this current situation is that people have this sense of isolation because they don't, they feel this way, but they don't hear other people talking this way. Um, so if you are out there and you're looking at the country and you're going, what in the name of Jeepers is going on? You're not on your own. And to remind you of that, we'll be back this time next week with another edition of The Week That Really Was. But for now, from Sarah, from Keith, and from me, thank you, and have a great weekend.